on today's episode, Patient Independence During Rehab with Nathan Carlson. Welcome to the podcast, helping you overcome your proximal hamstring tendinopathy. This podcast is designed to help you understand this condition, learn the most effective evidence-based treatments, and of course, bust the widespread misconceptions. My name is Brody Sharp. I'm an online physiotherapist, recreational athlete, creator of the Run Smarter series, and a chronic proximal hamstring tendinopathy battler. Whether you are an athlete or not, this podcast will educate and empower you in taking the right steps to overcome this horrible condition. So let's give you the right knowledge along with practical takeaways in today's lesson. Another important topic this week, uh, we're talking about patient independence. What that exactly means, I'll explain in a second because I am playing an episode from the Run Smarter podcast. It was episode 199, uh, maybe about two months ago, I interviewed Nathan Carlson and it's crucial for PHT sufferers to, if you've been dealing with health professionals, I know a lot of um, listeners who jump into those free injury chats. They say they've been through the ringer, three physios, two osteos, one chiro, and um, constantly uh, seeing a whole bunch of health professionals. And so it's really important that you understand this concept, self-reflect on this concept, and I'll explain it all in the Run Smarter podcast. Good luck with your rehab today and hope you enjoy the episode. Today we have Nathan Carlson. This is a very important topic that not a lot of runners know, especially if you are currently injured uh, or if you see a health professional, um, if you've seen health professionals in the past, this is a, a key one to know because I've seen so many people go astray in their rehab and they don't necessarily understand this particular topic. So we're talking about patient independence and almost having like uh, the power, the authority to, to rehab the injury yourself and the therapist facilitating that whole experience rather than dictating that experience and um, you handing over all the control to the therapist. And Nathan Carlson is um, co-host on a, a podcast, the Runner's Own podcast with Chris Johnson. And it's one that I listened to. And I was actually listening to Nathan talk about this and reached out and said, this would be perfect a perfect episode that suits um, the goals of this particular podcast. And I haven't done an episode or a topic on this before. Can you please come on? He agreed. And so here we go. So Nathan is a physical therapist. Like I said, he's a podcast co-host. He is a research enthusiast. You can just, um, if you delve into like his bio or his website or any little um, detail online about him, you can definitely tell he is just diving into research constantly. And I just love that about him. Love the knowledge that he had. So I was thankful he could agree on to talk about this topic around patient independence. And I know you'll enjoy and find it extremely valuable. Nathan, welcome. Thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Brody. Excited to chat. Yeah, exactly. And I heard you talking about this on, um, on your podcast, the Runner's Own podcast. And I'm like, I've touched on this particular topic here and there a little bit, just like little um, inklings, but thought I needed a dedicated episode just to get the point across because I think um, while there's not necessarily, there are some health professionals that listen to this podcast, but they're mainly runners seeking treatment or, you know, sure. um, 
trying to find a very nice therapist. So I thought a dedicated episode on this topic would be really nice. Before we dive into that, can you just introduce yeah. um, yourself and uh, introduce who you are, what you do, and also your podcast would be great. Sure. Yeah. So my name is Nathan Carlson. I'm a physical therapist and coach. Uh, I'm based out of Kansas City, Missouri, uh, which is in the U.S. Uh, I've been practicing for about 10 years now um, on my own for the last four. So I started my own my own practice about four years ago. Um, I've always been slanted towards endurance sports, mostly running, um, even when I worked at other clinics and things like that. Um, but then when I went out on my own, I really started to focus on just that. Um, and in both in patient care and then with um, helping manage athletes, most often their strength and conditioning. Um, so how do we implement lifting and plyometrics and other things that we think might be beneficial for their specific situation, um, whether they have kind of high performance goals or maybe they've had a lot of injuries in the past, they've had a lot of stress fractures, um, stubborn tendons or something like that. Um, or they're just, you know, they want to run for as long as they can. Uh, and so that's kind of what I do now. Um, I, uh, I got into this, I, I started running when I went to, when I went to college. So after I finished up high school, um, I played basketball growing up and then, and then didn't really have anything to do with my time as I went off to school. Uh, and so I just started running all the time, uh, in kind of in the country where I, uh, where I went to college and, you know, this would have been 2005, um, had no knowledge of anything. I had done some running growing up, not much. Um, but just, you know, ran all the time, you know, got hurt, didn't really know what I was doing. Uh, that was a combination of um, fascinating and exciting. Um, and then I was lucky to connect with a professor at my college who uh, his PhD work was in Kenyans and their adaption to living at altitude. Um, so he was from England uh, and taught my biomechanics class. And I just I just fell in love with the stuff. Um, he uh, he urged me to buy a copy of The Lore of Running, um, this kind of massive textbook that I still have in my closet back over here. Um, and I read that kind of throughout the semester when I wasn't studying. And um, that kind of led me to PT school. And, and then, like I said, I've been, I've been doing this for about 10 years now. Um, and it, it's, just been a, it's just been such a fun, uh, fun process, uh, fascinating population to work with. Um, I'm myself a runner. Uh, I deal with most of the frustrations my patients and clients do. Um, and so there's certainly, uh, there's certainly some, um, easy connections that can happen, um, between myself and my work. Um, and yeah, it's, it's just been, it's been a great experience doing that. Uh, and it's been, it's an exciting, uh, exciting group to work with for sure. Nice. And how did the podcast come about? You've got the runner's own podcast and, um, I'm a, a big listener. I think the, I listened to a couple of running podcasts and I've, I've, I believe I hold myself to quite a high standard when it comes to running podcasts with the level of knowledge I have and, you know, the, the ones that remain, the ones that stay, I stay subscribed to, uh, um, I hold myself to a very high standard. So well done for s still remaining in there. I absolutely love it. <laughs> Thank do, you. Do you mind, do you mind telling us about how that came about yeah. and what, what the podcast is designed to, sure. to educate people on? Yeah, so myself and Chris Johnson, he's another PT. Chris is based out of Seattle. Um, if you if you you know follow any of my accounts online, you probably see Chris's stuff too. Chris and I do a lot of collaborative stuff. So um, we started a podcast. I think it was about three years ago is when we started um, to to you know do a lot of the same stuff. I think that that you do a great job of doing and just trying to get useful information to people. You know, I think it's hard for 
it's hard for clinicians, you know, even to navigate a lot of the information that's out there when it comes to running and running related injuries. I think it's, you know, 10 times as hard for, for someone that hasn't gone to school for a lot of this stuff. Um, and so when we put that together, it was really the idea of trying to disseminate helpful information. Um, and, and that has come from, I think, you know, my career and learning from a lot of my mistakes, um, you know, there's a there's a common graph that gets shared all the time, um, kind of in the rehab, you know, maybe sports performance world where it shows um, what you think, you know, and what you know. And, you know, when you start out, I think when you start out of school, you don't know anything and you kind of know that. Um, but like really quickly after about a year or two, you are on top of the world. And I know that parallels my career. Like a couple years out of school, I knew everything about running. All my patients were going to get better, you know, lots of certainty. And then over time, what you what happens is that comes way crashing down. And then you have this other line that goes up, which is all the stuff you don't know. Um, and so that podcast really, and a lot of the content that I put out, it's the idea is to try to help people with that. Um, because I think there's a lot of useful things that that um, that runners and clinicians can can learn about that can really affect their practice and or their training or whatever that is because at the end of the day we all we all want to enjoy this you know the the running is such a cool sport and it it's such a low there's such a low barrier of entry for most everybody um and so the more that we can do i think to disseminate helpful information to people i think the better um and so with our podcast we do um, some kind of expert interviews so we have you know physicians coaches dietitians athletes um, kind of share their unique take on things. Um, and then Chris and I kind of uh, disperse in there our experience, you know, maybe our opinions on things, things that we've changed our mind on. Um, again, with the idea that it's just the whole thing's a learning process. And one of the great things about having a podcast, I, I bet you say the same thing, is I get to learn from so many cool people. Like I get to talk to so many cool people and learn so much. It's just such an, it's such a great opportunity. And hopefully the, the listeners get to get to experience that too. Yeah, I think when I started the podcast, I I wanted to position myself as the expert, but not the expert that knew everything. The expert that try, is trying to learn everything and trying yeah. to decipher a lot of misinformation out there and just learning along the way. And I have learned so many things, leaps and bounds, just by researching, doing my own independent research to hold myself accountable to the podcast, but also interviewing people like you and people like um, so many different walks of life, different health professionals outside the scope of PT and physio. And yeah, I, I've just been developing myself along the way and it's, it's been a, a real journey. And I think everyone's growing because of it, because people who are listening are receiving the right information. I'm receiving the right information. We're all kind of having these revelations and growing as, as the podcast goes, which I absolutely love. I think it's a fantastic avenue to, to grow as people and grow as runners. And for the actual topic of discussion today, which listening to one of your episodes gave me this idea and like, oh, I've got to reach out to you guys because you were talking about it. Patient independence when they're going through their rehab. Uh, for those who may have limited experience with working with a PT or a health professional, um, they're not too sure what a rehab approach might be like or different options that might be out there. Can you maybe just explain what do we mean by patient independence when it comes to a rehab management plan? Yeah, and there's, I think there's two things, there's two different ways I think you can look at 
at that. The way that I learned it in school, um, so in physical therapy school, I, I would guess this is similar other ways. Because when we talk about independence, we talk about really in goal setting um, or maybe in how we're going to document how someone does something. So the, you know, the patient was able to independently complete 10 bodyweight squats or pick whatever thing it is that they're doing or run or whatever. Um, and so the, we, we can document it that way. Um, but I think, but for me, when I think about patient independence, the, the goal is that the individual that I'm working with, um, feels like they're in control of their own situation. Um, they are, they feel like they are independent and they are able to navigate whatever thing we're, we're dealing with injury we're coming back from surgical procedure, whatever that is that they are able to, to manage this independently as they go back out to whatever it is that they're training for, um, or, or, or looking to do. Um, and so, um, what I, what that doesn't mean to me is, is that, um, we're not, we're not there and helping them along the way. Um, but, but that they're, they're able to navigate the ups and downs of the rehab process with, without feeling like they are beholden to someone like you or me to really help them with that. Um, I think when you are, when you're dealing with patients, anybody that's in, that's in patient care, um, there's a lot of patients that just love being around you, you know, and they might stay in that rehab process for, for a long time. Um, and that's great. Um, but the, but the goal for most of my patients, if not all my patients is that they can get back out and train and not have to come and see me. Um, and so if that's the end goal, what I want to do is to be able to foster that independence throughout the entire rehab process, especially because I think a lot of what we do and a lot of what we can help with really happens between the times when we actually meet with a patient. So for myself, I'm lucky in that I get to work really as long as I want to with the patient. Most of the time that ends up being about an hour per visit, sometimes a little longer, sometimes a little less. Um, and so we have that time to work together and have questions answered and progress through things, talk about our strategy, whatever that is. But once that person leaves the clinic, you know, they're, they're off on their own. And so to me, it's about making sure that we're, we're empowering them to be able to handle whatever is going to be thrown at them as they go through the plan that we've mutually come together and, and, and kind of written out. Um, and so for most runners, it's how do I navigate pain? Um, what are the things that I need to be worried about? What are the things that I don't need to be worried about? Maybe there's some misconceptions, kind of like we talked about with a, you know, the reasoning for starting our podcast. Maybe there's some misconceptions around what they're dealing with. And so a lot of it is maybe freeing them of some of that and then allowing them to progress back to the things that they want to do um, without just kicking them out the door. You know, I think I could say someone is independent by just saying, you know, come in, let's run you through your exercises. Okay, 30 minutes is up, out the door. I have my next patient coming in. Um, I think it takes a lot more effort to make sure that we're we're kind of in lockstep with, okay, we finished today. This is what we were looking to accomplish. Um, this is what we did. This is our plan going forward. This is how we're going to navigate if your pain increases, decreases, if you feel this certain thing, um, and making sure that they feel confident and ready to go. Um, because with running injuries, you know, pain can be challenging. It doesn't always go away. You know, it's not that you come in and, you know, your pain's at zero out of 10. There's no issues. 
Um, a lot of times as we're going through the rehab process, there is this kind of fluctuating low level pain that's happening. And so how are we going to, how do we navigate that? Because I think for most running injuries, unless we're dealing with a, with a bone stress injury, complete rest is probably not the recipe for success. Um, and so how do we help people navigate that? Because they're going to be the only ones that are experiencing that. And how do we, how do we help them independently navigate those situations as they go through, you know, the times when they're not with us? Mm. Well, when I talked about the start that I've kind of sprinkled this particular lesson into other previous episodes, one of the words I like to use is empowered. Like you want to empower the patient to feel like they're in control of their own injuries and have the tools, strategies, the education to negotiate it on their own. Um, and we're just, we're just assisting that we're assisting the process rather than you know, dictating, this is what you need to do. This is what, how often you need to see me and this is what needs to be yeah. done. And, um, hopefully this rings true for a lot of runners who are listening to this and their management plans that they've had. Um, but there's also the type of people who say, I just want you to fix me. They come in, they lie down the bed and they just say, fix me. I don't want to have to do much work at home. I don't want to have to do anything. I just want to rely on you. You're, you're my go-to guy. Just get me better and then I'll be happy. Um, if whether it's directed by the therapist or by the patient, like going down that dependent, um, route, what's the dangers of that? Like, why is, why do we need to focus so much on empowering people and independence? If, um, if maybe at the end of it, they are pain-free with just a a purely like hands-on dependent approach. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a common thing that, that we talk about in rehab circles is, is that idea of come, you know, come see me, let me fix you. Let me use my, my magic, my whatever. Um, and, and let me fix your situation. And, and I do think there are clinicians that get into that. Um, I think that that's changing a little bit, maybe just in the running world. And I might be, I might be naive in saying that. I think we're getting away from that a little bit, but it's definitely still there. Um, this idea that you, you have to go to someone to be fixed. And so, you know, for me, if I have someone that comes in and, and that's maybe the, the messaging that they're saying me, I've got this thing, I, you know, maybe they've seen me before, maybe their friend saw me and, and, you know, kind of said, oh, Nathan's great. You should go see him. And so they're, they've maybe got a little bit of a perception about me going into that first visit. Um, you know, the, the, if that's the messaging that they're telling me, then I want to talk about that straight away. So if they say, hey, you know, can you, I need you to fix me, I would say, well, what does that mean to you? You know, what is fixing that? What does fixing you mean? Um, does that mean you feel like, you know, I need to do hands-on treatment? I'm not for or against manual therapy. There are some therapists that are. Um, but is that your perception? Because that might, that might guide how we're going through care. But if, if, the, if the idea is you feel like you're, in need of someone else doing something to you to feel better or to keep you better, to kind of keep you together, um, then then going through the rehab process, we're, we're going to need to talk about that um, and figure out if there's a way to to maybe work away from that messaging. Because, um, you know, the, the human body is uh, one of my kind of fundamental principles is that the human body is really good at adapting. Um, and so, you know, if you have maybe some perceptions about yourself that, aren't the most positive, that aren't the most you know, accurate from what we know, then we're going to work on that. Um, and then there's also, you know, instances rare in my experience 
where I might not be the right fit for somebody. And I think that's okay too. So I've had a couple patients that have said, you know, that's, that's been the thing that they've said I need to be fixed. Um, and if we aren't getting anywhere from a, from a conversation standpoint, if we're not making any progress, I might need to refer that to somebody else because there might be a better resource for them than me. Um, I don't think that that's how we should approach care. I don't think that's how recovering from injury needs to work. Um, but I think that for a lot of people, these, the messages and things that they have, they can be hard to change. Um, and so I want to do the best that I can to put people in the best situation to get back to that independent training, because that's what, that's what I want if I'm injured. And again, that's what most of my patients say when we're talking about goal setting. Um, but that can be a, that can be a challenging road and there can be a lot of stuff that we need to, that we might need to do. So if someone isn't really addressing that independent piece, they're more like their narrative doesn't change, their beliefs doesn't change and like everything stays quite static and a bit more reluctant for, I guess, long-term change or like long-term management. Is that what you're saying? Uh, yeah, maybe. So for, for myself, um, if they, if they're saying that I'll, I'll ask them like, what do you think's going to, if we go into the future, this is how I normally word this. So let's go to six months in the future and you're, you're training and you're racing and, and we, you've reached all the goals that you're wanting to reach right now. What do you think needs to happen to get to that point? Um, and so sometimes they'll say, you know, I feel like I need more hands-on treatment. I need a different pair of shoes. I need to have a, you know, really technical gait analysis. Sometimes that's what people will talk about. Um, and so to me, I want to know what you're, what you think is going to help you get there. Cause that's probably, that's probably going to be an important thing for us to either do, uh, or refer you to someone that can provide that for you. Um, and I think, I think for myself early on, my ego would probably get in the way of being willing to do that because I was going to be the person that was going to, you know, quote unquote, fix you. Um, but, but, you know, mostly through my you know, mistakes and learning from other people and um, really just experience, you know, I've, I've kind of learned that, well, you probably need to have other options available if that's where the kind of the recovery is going. Mm. And so it sounds like you're, you're delving into a lot of their, their goals, their needs, their wants, and trying to decipher exactly what the, what management plan they have in mind. Um, do you ever... Do you ever try and change their opinions or try and change their narrative around if they just wanted new shoes or if they just wanted a more detailed gait analysis? Do you ever try and um, say, yes, we can definitely like, you can definitely try those as options, but, and then try and sway them to something that is a little bit more um, empowered or a little bit more um, independent long-term solution? Sure. Sh shoes is a great example. Um you know, so if someone is really concerned about maybe this is a footwear issue, if, you know, my professional opinion isn't, is that it, this isn't a footwear issue, I'm happy to tell them that, um, you know, and I'll, I'll say something along the lines of, you know, here's what I think are going to be the, the lowest hanging fruit for us to work on. And this is my reasoning for, for why I think that and kind of make the points that I, I feel like are, are appropriate in that situation. Um, you know, it's not that shoes can't be a component of that. I don't think that's a, that's going to play a huge role in what you're currently dealing with. Um, but if, if certainly something that we're going to look at, and if we're not getting anywhere with this other thing, we can always explore more options. And I would say the same thing with things like injections. 
You know, so whether that's a corticosteroid injection, a PRP injection, um, I think the research behind that, you know, from what I understand is not, not that great. Um, but there's lots of runners that, that really feel like those are needed to help with whatever injury they're dealing with. And so I, I kind of outline the same thing where I'll say, you know, I, I don't think that's going to be, have the biggest impact for us. Um, let's go, I think we should go through these things first. And if those are, if we're not making any headway, then there are other options we can do. Um, let's, 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 uh, look at those if we get there. Um, and so I, I that's, that's kind of how I navigate that. I, I, uh, I think that we all have a, you, know, you have a professional duty to, to give your professional opinion. Um, you know, and, and I'm certainly opinionated. <laughs> I've spent, I've spent the last several years, uh, thinking and, and working with these specific injuries. So I'm certainly opinionated. Um, can't guarantee you I'm hundred percent right. I'm definitely not there. Um, but I'm happy to give you my opinion, my professional opinion on things and, and say what I think is going to be the most helpful to get you to where you want to, to where you want to go. Mm. Mm. I, I think for those who, uh, I think it might be helpful if we have two examples of like the same injury going through one that's like this, I guess, dependent and then independent management plan. And so if you have a runner that comes in and sees you and they've had six weeks of patellofemoral pain, like pain around the kneecap, and they say, it's painful with running, um, what exactly should I do? Can you maybe walk us through a plan that is like... I guess the worst, most dependent kind of management plan you can think of. And then something that's a little bit more um, addressed to those long-term solutions and the, like that, that fades into that independent route and, and takes us through that particular phase of the management plan. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and the, the knee is a great example because a lot of runners deal with knee pain. Um, so yeah, let's go through the, we can go through the, the kind of dependent one first. So, uh, I see Brody's on my schedule. He shows up at the clinic. He says, oh man, my knee has been killing me when I've been running. Um, you know, I heard you're the guy. What should I, how can I get back to running? Cause I can't do anything right now. So maybe we're looking at a really irritable knee. Um, yeah, I think if we look at that really dependent approach, it's, you know, I take you through some examinations. Look, Brody, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about what you got going on. Um, you know, this seems like it's been going on for a while. I really think we're going to, we're really going to have to invest a lot of time in this to kind of get you back and running. So what I'm going to need to do is I'm going to need to see you a couple times a week for, you know, for probably a couple of months. I don't really want you running right now because, because, you know, we got to let this thing really settle down. Um, and so we're going to do, you know, we're going to do ART in Graston and I'm going to give you some stretches and we're going to, you know, we're going to put E-STEM on you and we're going to do lots of different modalities. You're going to feel really good. Um, and then, you know, let's, but let's just shelve running for, for a couple months. Um, and so that's kind of the typical, really passive approach to, to managing care. Um, and I think for patients, what, what that ends up happening is you, if you don't really address the, the running component of somebody, if you completely take somebody out of it, anybody that's had an injury, or if you've had a kid, or if you've had, you know, a big time away from training, if we don't run for a long time, it's really hard to get back into running. It's, it's uncomfortable. You don't feel as efficient. And this is even if you're not dealing with an injury, if you just haven't ran in a while. And so if, if our approach is come see me, let me provide you these things. Let me not, we're not really going to keep doing what you've been doing because uh, I'm going to be the person that's going to fix you. 
Um, that's always concerning to me because if we're dealing with a non-bone stress injury, so we're not dealing with a stress fracture or a stress reaction, unless it's really irritable, there's normally some level of training that we can keep doing, whether that's cross-training, whether that's running at a lower volume, running at a lower speed. Um, maybe, you know, I work with some trail runners, so maybe that's keeping you on flat ground instead of navigating really high inclines and declines. There's normally some level of training that we can keep through the through the rehab process. Um, so that's kind of what I think that, that can look like in the more de dependent route. Come see me. We're not really going to address the kind of practical stuff that you can do in between. I might give you a couple stretches, but there's probably not much it's probably not going to give much impact on our care. Um, and let's extend those out for a long period of time. So let's keep you coming back to me, um, especially if we're kind of doing the same thing. Um, for myself, go back to the same situation, but say you're coming and seeing me in my clinic over here in Lee Summit. Um, you say, you know, hey, I've been dealing with this knee pain. My friend told me to come see you. Uh, can you help me out? You know, to me, the first thing we got to establish if we're, again, if we're looking kind of in getting you on an independent plan is what, what kind of levels of stress is your knee okay with? If that's what, if that's what the issue is. So if you come in and you tell me, you know, I can get through my day to day. Um, my knees may be a little stiff in the morning. I can walk around. I've been doing some, you know, I saw some exercises online. I've been doing those and those, those are really hurt. Um, but really if I run for more than, a couple, you know, maybe 20 or 30 minutes, um, my knee starts to bother me. And so I'm concerned about that. And so to me, the first thing that we're trying to establish is what level of stress does that specific area tolerate right now? Because if you can go through day-to-day -day activities and you can do some basic exercises and you can even run for a little bit, if you say, I, you know, it really only starts to hurt after about 10 or 10 or 15 minutes, then there's probably a level of training that we can keep doing. And so we want to establish that in that first visit because sometimes one of the best things for a running injury is to keep running. Um, we probably want some parameters on that. But keeping you training is going to be an important part of the process. And so with the knee, maybe that's, hey, Brody, what we're going to do since you know, 15, 15, 20 minutes is when it starts to bother you. Let's take your training runs and let's, let's just chop them up into eight to 10 minute segments. So you're going to run for eight to 10 minutes. You're going to walk for a minute or two. You're going to run for eight to 10 minutes. You're going to walk for a minute or two. Um, and, and by breaking that up, giving you some time in between those sets, your knee might be a little bit more comfortable with that. We can even go one step further and say, well, we know that step rate or cadence, how many steps you take per minute, um, that can be an important thing with knee pain. So let's get you running at maybe 5 to 10% uh, of a higher step rate. So say you're running at one, you're running at 160, 160 steps per minute. Well, let's bump that up to 168. And by turning your feet over faster like that, we know that that can actually load the knee a little bit less. So if we chop up your segment, your, your segments of running, if we have you increase your step rate, um, you know, those are two things that we know can really be helpful with knee pain. And we would probably would go through this in that first visit. So I would take you through all this stuff. And then maybe there's even some supplemental exercises that we can do that's going to be helpful. We can work on some hip strengthening. We can work on some exercises that load you through your knee. And we figure that out all in that first visit. This is one of the lucky things I said about me that I can spend a lot of time with my patients. 
And then we have this really nice plan. So at the end of that, we say, Brody, I think you're in, in a good spot, man. I know this has been giving you pushback, and I, I certainly understand your frustration with this. Um, but I, I really think if we get you doing some basic exercises, let's keep you let's keep you training. But these are the modifications that we're going to we're going to make. Um, I think you're going to do really well. And what I think would be really helpful is if you go through this for a week, and then I want I want to schedule a phone call with you. I just want to talk with you really quick, about ten minutes. Just to get any questions you have, and let's do that this Friday at 5 p.m. or whatever that is. So we have a plan. We, we've talked about how we're going to communicate with each other, so you don't feel like I'm just kicking you out the door. Um, and that we talk about, okay, well, what happens if my knee hurts when I'm running? What what kind of pain am I okay with? Because I, I, if you have a little bit of low level pain that that goes away, and you don't feel like you're having to change the way you're running, you don't have to limp or do something funny. We're probably okay with that. And then we know how you and I are going to communicate with each other. So we have a plan and we also have a day when we're going to talk to each other and then we're going to revisit that plan. And I think both of those things are important. I think that the interaction that we have, making sure we have a good plan and that the patient feels okay with that, they're on board. Um, you know, we're kind of hands locked together, we're ready to go into battle. Um, we have that plan in place, and then we know what we're, how we're going to address this if things go sideways, because sometimes they do when we're recovering from an injury. And then we know how we're going to communicate with each other. I think this parallels coaching really well, because I want to know how I have to how, how we're going to communicate, so I know that again you're there in my corner, but I'm in charge. You know, the patient's leading it. They know what they're. They have their tools. They're ready to go. But they also have the provider or whoever it is that they're working with. They're there with them, but they're not. They're not driving. You know, driving the the car. They're they're just there if they need them. Um, mm. To me, that's that's what I've come to through my career is the balance between both of those things. Making sure we have a good plan, we're comfortable with the diagnosis, we take as active of approach as we can, um, as is appropriate for the injury that we're dealing with, and that we outline how we're going to communicate with each other so we can continue to make progress. Um, and then what hopefully happens is the rehab goes well and that they then have this new set of skills to be able to appraise these situations when it inevitably happens again. Because if we run, we're probably going to deal with something. I mean, I know I've had running injuries since I've been in practice. I've talked to a lot of clinicians that are that are kind of in this same space and they deal with running injuries. Um, and we want to make sure that we give people the tools so they don't have to, you know, schedule an appointment with a healthcare provider every time they feel something. Um, I had a conversation with, I was talking with an old patient of, my, of mine this weekend. She sent me a, she sent me a text message and said, uh, oh man, I flared up my foot really bad. Um, and she had been dealing with some plantar fasciopathy. We had seen each other, I think at the start of last year. So the start of, uh, or sorry, the start of this year. So the start of kind of 2021. Um, and she said, you know, but I feel like I've got a good handle on this because of the stuff that we worked on going back to kind of when that happened before, you know, so that's modifications with footwear and stuff like that. Um, I feel like I've got a good handle on this moving forward. So I just wanted to say thanks. Um, and, you know, my message back to her was, that's great. You know, I'm sorry to hear about the injury. That stinks. Um, but I'm glad you feel like you've got a good plan. Let me know if you need anything, you know. So the so for myself, it's not schedule with me right now. I, I need you to come and see me. Let me fix you. Um, it's, I'm here if you need me, 
you know, if we need help with anything, if we need to troubleshoot some stuff, we can. Um, but it sounds like you're doing good right now. So, you know, keep going and, and, uh, and hopefully she does great. Um, and again, if I go back to maybe when I first started my, I don't think my ego would have let me say that. Um, it probably would have been, why don't you schedule, why don't you schedule an appointment with, with me on Monday? Uh, and let's get this sorted out. And that's not to say we don't maybe see, maybe I don't see her. Maybe I see her in a couple weeks for this. Um, but maybe she does great and she's back mm -hmm. on her own. And, um, I don't know, man, for me, like, that's what this is all about. It's about making sure that people, people reach out for help when they need to, when runners reach out for help when they need to, but they have the skills to navigate this stuff because, if you run for any amount of time, you're going to have something, you know, whether, you know, whatever, you're going to have some kind of injury. Just like if you do CrossFit for a long time, you're going to deal with something. Or if you ski, you're going to deal with something. You know, I think that just comes with being active. So we want to make sure people have the tools to be able to navigate a lot of this stuff on their own. And then if they really need help, then let's make sure they, they get some help. I'm glad you touched on that point. Like the, maybe the aftermath, if a, a second injury occurs or if that, injury um, flares up in a couple of months time, a couple of weeks time. That's where the big difference comes into it. It's like, okay, are you going to go straight for your therapist and say, I need you put your hands on me again and let's get this fixed. Or is it, yeah. I now have the tools in place to manage it myself. I think that's uh, very powerful. I think that's where the, the long-term strategies come in because I always say if flare ups, there's an expectation that there's a certain, percentage of flare-ups that can happen we're not it's totally unrealistic to think that flare-ups won't happen 100% of the time and if they do happen it's all about you know implementing the right strategies and uh, trying to overcome it as much as we can with little amount of damage and the less amount of fitness lost and those sort of things but that's where it really comes in you can you implement these strategies really well you can do it yourself you can do it asap instead of being like oh let me just wait a couple more weeks to see how it feels and then if it's not getting better then i'll see my therapist and then by the time they see the therapist it's been dragging on for two or three weeks and then it's harder to get rid of because yeah. that initial barrier to go see the therapist again it kind of needs to be at a certain severity state or drag on for a certain period of time they're like okay it's not getting better on its own let me see a therapist and yeah that's where the real powers can come into it and i think on more than one occasion um a listener's come like reached out to me on social media and said this isn't a good business model for you this you're not doing yourself very much justice because they're overcoming their own injuries without even talking to me because of the episodes of the podcast that they're listening to and i say actually the fact that you're saying that i'm actually doing my job i'm like um, fulfilling my purpose of you just educating yourself, overcoming your injury yourself, and then away you go. That's um, that's where I want to position myself. However, if similar to your patient who had plantar fasciitis and she has the same uh, tools to overcome it, if she is unable to overcome it or if she develops another injury that um, she might not have the right education or the whereabouts to overcome it herself. She's coming to you straight away. She's going to be the first right. person you think she thinks about, and she's not going to try and look anywhere else. Not even going to have a look. It's just this narrow focus. I, I need, I need help. I need to, education on this injury. Once again, I'm going to go to Nathan, and that's where I want to position myself as well. Of people listening to the podcast, overcoming injuries on their own, and if they can't do it, or if it's stubborn, or if something's happening that they're really not identifying, which is the linchpin to recovery. Hopefully they reach out to me. That's where I want to position myself. Uh, going back 
to that dependent example that you were talking about, I think one of the other aspects that people aren't considering is also the narrative that's attached to that dependent um, treatment. Sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes Mm -hmm. there is a, okay, you need to be seen for massage, hands-on therapy because, and it's like, you know, if we're using the example of the kneecap, oh, the kneecap's out of place. We need to mobilize it to reposition it. Oh, we need to release your ITB. Oh, look at all this scar tissue. Look at these knots. Look at everything that's malaligned or twisted or needs adjusted. And those sort of things are a narrative where it's like, well, I can't readjust things myself. I can't release scar tissue myself. I need the therapist to do all those things when those particular narratives aren't evidence-based and it does create fear, creates dependence, it creates this short-term, really unhelpful um, scenario, which is often, I want to say, untrue. But um, yeah, it just, it's not very empowering. It's not, it's not really helping anyone to be frank. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I, I, I think really carefully about how I word things, um, probably more than anything in my kind of it's changed in my career. I've certainly changed exercise prescription, how to modify training plans, that kind of stuff, gait mechanics, all those things. But the thing that I probably trained the most, changed the most, is how how do I communicate with someone, and what are the words that I'm using? Um, and I don't think that we should think that people are super fragile. Like if I like the human body is gonna kind of fall apart if you say one word that's different. But I but I do think that people can people can latch on to those things and they can stick with them for a long, long, long time. Um, I specifically, the examples you use, I see those. The thing that I see the most is people that have this idea that their, like their SI joint goes out of place or their hip goes out of place. Like there's a bone or a joint or a structure that is, it's mechanically moved and it needs to be mechanically repositioned for everything to be okay and and i think if we look at the literature on that it's it's generally not we see that that doesn't really hold up um i remember when i was in actually when i was in school i was doing one of my rotations and i was working at this clinic and they said hey we're gonna have this we're gonna have this instructor come in and he's like this big guru with with manual therapy we would we really want you to come take this course yeah being a motivated student of course Let's, um, you know, I'm happy to, to give up my weekend to learn something I think is going to be helpful. And the whole weekend was built around that. It's, you know, you assess and this is, the sacrum is, this is a left on left rotation. This is extended and rotated to the right, all these things. And here are these very specific things you're going to do to put that bone back in place. Um, and so, yeah, you're, you're right. Like if that, if that's the narrative we're working from, then the, of course, the only solution to that is to have something done to you to, to fix that. Um, and I think that people can get fixated on that where they, they do get in this model of let me go back and, um, and have someone put that back in. I can think of multiple people that I've seen, um, who, you know, have ran through the ringer on, of providers and gotten to this point where they say, you know, my, I can feel what happens when I'm running my, my ribs go out and then my hip goes out and it's this whole cascade the only way that I can get back to running is if I go, you know, have this thing done to me. Um, and, and they really can get in this kind of fearful, depressed, negative state about themselves. Um, and that's not to say that I can give them the specific answer for kind of solving or removing their pain. 
but I do think that we can we need to be we need to be cautious about how we navigate things and then when we're dealing with someone like that we approach that conversation with a lot of empathy um, because that's got to be a that's got to be a really powerful message that stuck with them and so if I just come at a person that's saying those things and say well that's wrong that's factually inaccurate here's let me send you all these papers that say the the exact opposite of that well I don't think that's the most healthy strategy for helping someone through a difficult situation. Um, let's make sure we approach that with some empathy and some grace to make sure that um, that we're we're helping them as much as we can. Um, but I do see that I do see that a lot with people. Not all the time, but you, you have these patients that they will fixate on something like that, and it can be a very very hard thing to to break out of. When you say that, I. I'm thinking of a patient that I had years ago, back when I was um, working in clinics. This gentleman had a fear that his kneecap would fall out of place or like misalign if he went from sitting to standing because in the past he would get pain. It sounded like just a severe case of patellofemoral pain, but mm-hmm. his, he now resorted to a tactic where he had to, if he was sitting down and he had to stand up, he'd hold his kneecap in place with both hands and just like hold it into position and then stand up really awkwardly and stand up with a lot of like um, strain and like a wince. And he's just trying to desperately hold this thing in place. And yeah. because he believed that if if he didn't do that, if he didn't actively support it, that it would move into a wrong position and then cause a significant amount of pain. And I thought this guy, like this is, is one of the most severe cases I've ever seen. And he had high levels of pain, real, a lot of fear and a lot of worry. And that's what he'd been told in the past. He'd been told that your, um, your kneecap is malaligned and we need to do X, Y, Z to put it back in place. And this was the result based on that narrative. And I saw him once and I educated him and I just told him about what patellofemoral pain is. I gave him some like quarter wall squats, like double leg wall squats, just to sit and strengthen the, the knee and that sort of thing. Made an appointment for the next week. The next week came around, he canceled his appointment. I gave him a ring. I said, how are things going? He said, I'm actually feeling so much better. And um, I'm back to doing like deeper wall squats. And uh, I said, okay, well, let's just see how you go. Let's reschedule for another in like two weeks. Or no, I said, let me give you a call in um, two weeks time after that. And let me just see how you're going. I gave him a call two weeks after that. And he said, I'm back to doing stairs. I'm back to walking. I'm back to doing lunges, squats, no issue whatsoever. I said, fantastic. Away you go. And that's like, that's all it required. <laughs> yeah, it was just yeah. a little bit of education, a little bit of strengthening to build up his confidence. And I was amazed at how much that could turn around just with a change of narrative and just empowering him to do something a little bit more active and a little bit more strengthening based rather than just trying to hold something in place when they're moving. So another funny example, um, I had this question written down, which like, it's a bit harsh to ask you, but I'm curious to know your answer. Why do some therapists go down this dependent approach? Yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll talk about myself first because then that'll be easier to maybe talk broadly about maybe others. Um, you know, I, I've never, I've always been an exercise, I've always been a more exercise-based therapist, PT. Um, that's kind of the model I was trained in. That's what most of my, that's what my early education was on. And so that's that's always been my bias, has been 
you know, and that's probably because I, I worked with a lot of post-operative patients, you know, soccer players, football players, volleyball, that kind of stuff. Um, that was where I initially started. And so you had to be, you had to be competent in exercise progressions. Um, and so that's where I, that's where I started from. So I, I've never been someone that has been incredibly hands-on approach. Not that I, I haven't, I don't do manual sometimes, but, it, but that wasn't like, I, I've never worked at a clinic where you're doing 30 or 40 minutes of manual. Um, and so if I think about that type of example, to me, from my perspective, it's, it starts with ego. Is this someone that, someone that needs to be in that position? I, you know, I, if someone comes in, I put my hands on you and your pain feels better. I mean, that's a huge ego boost to me as a provider. Um, and so I think that we do get in situations where maybe we're, we're getting something out of that. And so of course we're going to keep things like that. Um, you touched on it as well. If I have a dependent, more of a dependent model, and I know Brody's coming to see me once a week for six months, well, I know that that's more more revenue in my business. You know, I'm a business owner too, so I I don't agree with, but I understand that perspective, and that if I have more of a model like that, it might mean more visits and more money. Now, I think you and I are probably kind of aligned on that, and that if I feel like if I if I do good by people, I'm helpful in my community and I provide a good service, I think I will reap rewards from that in my business by just being kind and helpful to people. Um, but I think that that can be a thing too, where if I know that you're going to come back and rely on this treatment, well, I know I can bill for that and I'm going to get paid for that. Um, and that's more certainty for me in my business. Um, I think that those two things can can really get in the way. Um, and, and again, I, I mean... I, I have an ego just like everybody else. And so I, I, I run it, I can run into that stuff as well. But I think when, when people focus solely on those things or put a huge emphasis on that, that's my first wonder as to where that might be coming from. Mm. I also think that there's a, sometimes if you get maybe an older therapist or someone who's been treat, uh, taught by an older therapist like that was once the belief, once the belief that things are out of place, malaligned, scar tissue, muscle knots, all those sort of things. And it got people better. They, they mm -hmm. got to see results. They had a very competent therapist who put their hands on and said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to um, release all these knots that are in your body because feel this, that's tender. And they they'd systematically go through it and make the patient feel a lot more comfort, um, a lot more. Yeah. And they can see that the, the powers that they can create, they stand up, they do a squat, they feel so much better. And yeah. that can almost be a, a placebo effect for the therapist and say, what I am doing is working. Therefore there must be knots. There must be scar tissue. I am realigning the body and kind of get this illusion itself and not And they say, and people are happy to come back to have this treatment. Like people want to be relieved of pain. And when people come to me because they're in pain, I'm helping them with that. And they can say, and it's good for business as well. And they kind of just yeah. get into this, um, into the grind of work and don't necessarily need or want the, um, that long-term approach or to do some evidence-based stuff or to actually see if there are any more empowering alternatives to treatment because what they're doing is really working. They're making people feel better and it's good for business. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I mean, I think there's lots of therapists that are like that. I, um, and, and, you know, if I look from my perspective, I, I mentioned I'm, I'm pretty biased towards exercise and education. 
So if we get, if we go into the future 10 years, pick, pick a day and we learn that, you know, my, what I do in my practice is not the best way to handle the things that I deal with. There's research that comes out on that theories that get proposed, whatever that is. I hope, I hope that I will be willing to change my perspective. Um, It's going to be hard for me to do that because I'm, I'm, I've, I've thought about this a lot, right? Um, and so I, I do think that when we, if you, if you have an approach that you've done for a long time, well, that's hard to shift that. Um, but we are always learning more. Um, there's lots of stuff that we do right now. We probably won't do in the future because we learned that it's not the most effective way to handle something. And so I hope that I will be willing to, to change my approach towards things. Um, but I also know that that's challenging and, and I do, I think that that happens. And I, I do think that most of the PTs that I, that I talk to, the rehab people that I talk to, they really are doing their best to try to help people. Um, not to say we couldn't improve some things, maybe get some of these narratives and things out of, uh, out of, uh, as common of a practice as it, as it happens. Um, but, uh, but behavior change is hard, whether you're a patient or a therapist, it's hard to change the way that you, that you do things. Yeah. Especially if things are working, it's very hard to change and say, oh, let me try something different. Um, Let me, at the risk of them not getting better, let me try something different. It's very tough to do. Um, If there is a runner who is trying to seek a therapist or currently has a therapist and is a bit, um, they're they're feeling things a bit iffy with their management plan, um, are there any red flags that runners should look out for or suspect that or encounter that suspects that their therapist might not be encountering this like independent model, this education empowering type of thing. Um, and isn't, I guess, encouraging or fostering for that type of, um, scenario. Yeah. Um, a couple things. Well, I think if, if you have the ability to see someone that, that specializes in the thing you're having trouble with, I think you should see them. Um, so on Fridays, I treat out of a clinic that is a, it's a women's health clinic. So they treat a lot of pelvic pain. They treat um, postpartum women, pregnant women, um, you know, bowel and bladder issues, lots of different things. Um, if I get someone that calls me and wants to schedule an appointment with me, and those are the complaints that they have, well, they need to see them. They shouldn't see me because that's not my area of expertise. So, I, so and I think that that's true whether you're dealing with a specific sport or activity or joint, you know, if you have the ability to see someone that, that really focuses on that, um, I think that you, you really try to, to get with that person first in your community. Um, because a lot of the stuff that comes through, I think both of our doors, um, we can manage it conservatively, not all the time, but most of the time we can manage these things conservatively. And so let's give it the best shot right out of the gate. Um, I think that, your gut feeling on working with someone, I think that that says a lot. Um, so if I go and see, a, like my primary care doctor, um, when I go and see my primary care doctor once a year, I have a good gut feeling. She answers my questions. I feel like I'm getting a good service. Um, if I didn't feel that way, because I've had doctors in the past that I haven't connected with, I, I, I'm not going to see them anymore because my gut just doesn't it just tells me that this doesn't feel right. Um, and so I think that that's helpful. Um, and then I, th- I think making sure that you are allowed the time to share your story and ask a lot of questions, because I think that if you can do those things for most for most running related injuries, if we can just get a really good sense of your situation, 
we can do a lot of good. Um, and so you want to go to someone that you feel like they're listening to you and that they're answering your questions. Um, and if you go to do that, if you go to say, hey, you know, I had some questions about something and they're not willing to give you an answer or, or give you the time to speak, maybe they're so busy that they're just rushing all over the place. Well, then that's someone that I would I would maybe will look somewhere else. Um, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of good providers. Um, there's a lot of good models for delivering rehab. Um I use one specific model, but there's lots of good ones. Um, but you want to go to someone that you that you you know is is competent in dealing with the thing that you're dealing with, and they're willing to invest in that relationship and and help you. And I think if you can get those things, if you can do those things, then you're off to a you're in a good situation. Yeah, share your story and ask a lot of questions. I think is fantastic to to hone in on. Um, and to add on to that as well, if you ask a lot of questions, make sure you, uh, are clear with the answers that you, you get as well, or like you have to, yeah, you have clarity around the answers that are provided, because I think that there are some therapists and health professionals out there, doctors, surgeons, where you can ask a question and they can come back with a really complicated answer that leaves you with a bit more questions, like the answer, not real, the question, not really answered. And, um, some people from then on will be really quiet and say like, they don't want to re-ask the question or rephrase it because they feel stupid or that they're just like, Oh, okay. And they just sit down quietly and, um, away they go. I think that's a very, um, yeah, very uh, something to really look out for. And if you ask it again, or if you rephrase that question again, and again, you get back a complicated answer that you don't really understand. Maybe that's a red flag and, if you, if they're not really listening or if they're just not providing enough clarity for you to, um, reciprocate or just take on that information that can be, I can't believe I'm going to share this story, but I've just recently moved house and we had, um, our washing machine started leaking and we had a tradesman come out to fix it. And he replaced one of the, one of the parts and said, here you go. And we asked questions about like, why is this? It's a new washing machine. It's, um, I'm, I'm confused as to why this is happening. He said, oh, no, it just needs to be replaced. The part needs to be replaced. And then a couple of weeks later, that same issue happened and we got that same plumber in and he's like, oh, yeah, we just need to replace that that first one that got replaced. And we're like, we're after long-term solutions here. We can't just have this same part replaced. Why yeah. is it happening in the first place? And he had this really BS answer, just really just talking nonsense and we're just like, he doesn't know what he's talking about. He just wants to replace it and move on. But we have another builder who we can send, we we have straight away, we can tell that he's so genuine and trying his best to work out complicated answers. If he doesn't know a particular answer, he's happy to say he doesn't know and he tries to find the answer and he comes back with solutions and straight away we get him. It's like, you can tell within five minutes of talking to someone how genuine someone can be and can know whether like try and explain it the best way they can. And if they don't know, they're happy to say they don't know. And like, it's just a more comforting kind of interaction than to that plumber who can just, you know, talk BS and then just replace things in a way it goes short term, um, short term fix. And then this, this guy who's trying to come up with long-term solutions, it's um, as soon as you're talking about that example, I'm like, am I going to share this? All right, I'll share it. But I think there's some lessons to, to be said with that particular interaction. Oh, I think that's great. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, we all deal with this, right? We're like, you know, repair, repairmen, uh, repair people and, and mechanics, you know, if something breaks on my car, 
I, I know very little about cars. I can, you know, change my tires and put my gas in and change my wiper blades. It's not much. Um, something breaks on it. I would like to know what it is. What's, what is this? Why are we replacing it? What's the problem that happened? Um, you know, and I think that, I think that we owe that to patients because you don't, most of my patients see me for pain resolution, you know, so they're seeing me because something hurts. They don't want it to hurt or it's limiting them in what they can do. And they, they want help with that. Um, but I don't know what questions they have if I don't ask. So at the end of every visit I do, every single visit, I ask them, did you get everything out of today's session that you were looking to get out? That's the first question. The second question is, what questions do you have? It's not, do you have any questions? Because if you ask that, they're probably going to say no. Um, it's what questions do you have? And you ask it in a, as genuine of a way as you can, because they're probably going to have something. And then if we go back to that, we use that example on kind of follow-up communication. I always say, you know, I know today's visit was a lot. We talked about a lot of stuff and, and I think you're in a good spot. You'll probably, you're probably going to have questions, um, you know, whether that's later today or tomorrow. So when, so I want you to write those down and let's make sure we get to those when we talk on Friday, when you email me on Thursday, whatever that next kind of communication point is, let's make sure that you're getting those because that could be, that could be the whole, the crux of the whole recovery plan. I work with a lot of runners that have Bone stress injuries, that's the thing that I see the most, it's by far, stress fractures. Um, I, was, I had a, a, high school, a high school runner that's in her last year of high school before she goes off to college. And she'll, she'll run in college. Um, so she, got a, she had a stress fracture in her metatarsal, happened uh, a few weeks ago. And so we were going through that initial visit. You know, for most, most of the time when you start off with a stress fracture, there's not much we do in that first few visits. We talk really about the plan. Why do we think this happened? What are some things? Do we need to refer to a dietitian? do some other things, exercises, all that kind of stuff? But I remember at the end of it, you know, as we're talking, she's just so uncertain about her future. You know, like, when am I going to run? Like, I really need to compete this spring and track. What's that going to look like? And so I remember, you know, I had given her kind of the timetable about what most people get to with a metatarsal stress fracture. This is really when we can start these kind of things. And I asked her, I'm like, would it be helpful if we just wrote all this out? And she said, yeah, that would be really, really helpful. And so I wrote, you know, we can, we can actually start running on Christmas Day. <laughs> so, so we're going to start your return to run, run progression on Christmas Day. And we're going to go through eight weeks of a return to run progression. And this is how we're going to increase that. Once we get to about that eight-week point, we're going to run back-to-back days. So you're going to run Monday and Tuesday, then you're going to have a day off. And I just went through this and said, okay, this is when you're going to start running tempo runs. This is when you're going to start doing track workouts. Um, this is tentatively when we'll probably start racing with the goal of you being, you know, just in top shape and ready to just crush it your last, the second half of track season, which I think is a reasonable time frame. Stress fracture happens in about August. Being able to compete at 100% in the spring, I think that's realistic. Um, and I think she found that very helpful after, after we talked about that. But if I didn't ask the, if I didn't ask, I wouldn't have known, you know, I can tell her, Hey, you can start running Christmas day. We'll start your return to run progression. Then, um, you know, here's your exercises between now and when I see you in two weeks and I, she would still have all those questions, you know? Um, and so I think that for me, I think if you work in the same population, you'll, you do get a sense of the, the questions that people want to know. And so I try to preemptively answer those because I, I do have 
some reps to base that off of. But then ask them. You got to ask them. And if you have a question, you got to ask it. So, you know, for a lot of patients, if their their interactions with healthcare providers are so fast, um, I tell them to write it down on a piece of paper. If you're going to go to your follow up with your physician or you're going to go see somebody else, I want you to write down all the questions that you have on a piece of paper. I want that sitting on your lap when you when your doctor comes in the door. And I don't want you to let them leave the room to answer, to ask your questions. Um, and I think for a lot of people, they want to be nice. So they don't want to seem stupid. Like they're, they feel like they should know all this stuff. And it's, there's a lot of, there's so much uncertainty with these things. Um, that if you don't give them the opportunity to ask questions and, and to make sure that they feel comfortable with the answers, I think that can be a huge, that can be a huge roadblock in, in recovery from an injury. Mm. And I think a lot of health professionals, they, they have a particular jargon or a particular like abbreviations or terminologies that someone might not understand. And they assume that they understand. Like if, um, if we say patellofemoral pain and people just like, well, what's that? Like, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it needs that, it needs that explanation. And so some people might just be a bit shy and not say, Oh, like, you know, what is patellofemoral pain? A lot of people might not have the, the whereabouts to actually, or confidence to say, can you explain what that is? And yeah. yeah, I love that that takeaway of just having things written down because when you're in the treatment session and you're trying to think of a question, sometimes there's too much going on to actually have a clear mind. But prior, if you write things down um, and you have them all laid out, I think that's a really nice tip. Um, are there any other tips or final takeaways as we wrap up today's episode? No, not that, not right off the top of my head. I mean, I, I think that for, for most runners, um, I think just understanding that injuries happen and you want to make sure that you feel like you have the resources to manage them as best you can and then go see help when you need to. Um, I think that, you know, like I said, I, I run and um, I, I probably have something that hurts every two or three runs, right? It's like your knee feels tight, my Achilles feels sore, my hip feels something. Um, and so I think that a lot of those little blips we don't need to worry about. We, we, we take note of them um, and then we keep going on with our day. And then if we notice a big change that, that we probably need to um, maybe need to investigate them more. But um, yeah, I, I think you start with that and, and make sure you go to someone that you feel like is, is in your corner. Um, you know, that, that they're willing to, to have those conversations, I think you'll be in a good spot. And there's lots of good providers like that. Um, lots of good providers like that. Nathan, thank you so much. I have in terms of your social media links, I have runningmatekc.com and I have runningmatekc on Instagram as well. Um, mm -hmm. And then obviously I'll make links to the, the podcast, the Runner's Own podcast. Um, can you tell us more about the Running Mate KC, like if people want to go there or on Instagram or any yeah. other social media links that I might include? Sure, of course. Yeah, so my website is runningmatekc.com. Um, you can sign up for my newsletter on my front page, on my homepage. Uh, I put out a newsletter once a month. I try to put a ton of um, kind of linked articles to research. And I normally have a, uh, a little blog on, on something relevant in the running world and, and, you know, put together videos and things like that. Um, I also put together uh, a lot of long form um, video on YouTube. That's under my name. So if you can just type in Nathan Carlson. Um, and uh, yeah, if, if you have questions about anybody, you can always send me, you can always send me a message on um, on Instagram or through my website. Um, 
you know, I, I'm always happy to, to chat and, and help people through anything. Um, and uh, if you got questions about anything, let me know. Thanks once again for listening and taking control of your rehab. If you are a runner and love learning through the podcast format, then go ahead and check out the Run Smarter podcast hosted by me. I'll include the link along with all the other links mentioned today in the show notes. So open up your device, click on the show description, and all the links will be there waiting for you. Congratulations on paving your way forward towards an empowering, pain-free future. And remember, knowledge is power. Oh, 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 oh,